Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right, everybody, welcome to Forward, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. I'm here with a special guest. His name is Dr. Jason Holm. We're going to do some introductions in a second. There's not a long, big commercial diatribe going on today. We're just going to try to keep it real and, and talk the way, however, what do we want to do? We want to shoot the shit. I don't know what you want to call it. But I mean, obviously, if you haven't heard of Forward KC right now, uh, you know, you're starting to get too late. I don't even want to bring it up. I don't need to promote it. Either you're there or you're not at this point. Check out forwardthinkingchiro.com to understand what Forward KC is. This podcast could be seen or, sorry, listened to on iTunes and Stitcher. So check that out. Um, so, yeah, th those are your responsibilities. Check out our website. Uh, see all the things that you got involved. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a member of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance Facebook group, or the website, you're going to want to check that out because you're missing out a lot. And one of the things that you're missing out on is the value that Dr. Jason Holm brings to the table with his stout advice and his work ethic. So I wanted to bring Jason onto the podcast so you can hear his voice and understand what he brings to the table and understand why you should check him out at Ford KC and get uh, a piece of this rising star in the profession. What's up, dude? What's up, Bobby? How are you doing? I'm good. Um, who are you? What do you do? My name is Dr. Jason Holm. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, 15 minutes north of town. Uh, graduated 2009 from Logan. Came up in the world from the DNS background. Gary Gray was huge at the time. Motion Palpation Institute was something that was very influential in my life. So that's how I came through it. At the end of school, TPI started getting a lot of buzz. So we caught into that hype. Went to the uh, TPI level one. Met Greg Rose, had a ton of questions and said, man, you know, I'm golf's not my thing, but I love the idea of a systematic assessment. And from then it's just been gangbusters. I've been constantly trying to figure out how we can be more systematic about diagnosis, assessment, treatment, uh, rehabilitation plans. And um, it's just something I've always been passionate about this idea that we see planes fly from one city to the other. They have a massive standard operating procedure. And if they can pull that off, I think we can do it in the conservative rehab world and especially from the chiropractic side. So that's been something that's always interested me. And um, it's something exciting that I feel like every day we're getting closer and better at it. Would it be fair to classify you as Jason Holm systems guy? <laughs> it seems like that time like that. is coming more and more. Um, but the I SOP think SOP gangster. I like it. I like it. I think it's become out so, of necessity. Someone's got to be. Someone's got to do it, man. Somebody has to do it. We know we need it. We definitely need so it. Why not you? I agree. So let's go ahead and give me that title. So I'll go ahead and put that on the shirt. We can buff it out but, and make it a little cleaner, but yeah, put a pretty gold bow on it or something. I think the the big thing with the systems that's hard is that you go to the SFMA and FMS, which obviously that's been something I've been highly passionate about for a long time. And I owe those guys a ton of credit and I've loved what they've put together. But then for that to work in a modern chiropractic setting is really hard. Um, right. I think that's something we struggled with for years and constantly 
it, we struggled and I just wouldn't give up. Like always back in there at another SFMA course. Like I think the fifth time I took it, Greg Rose said like, are you just sleeping in class? Like, what are you here for again? You know? And it was constantly, it's like, no, there's more. I have a million questions. I got to keep asking. And then, you know, go back to the lab and work it out and try to figure out how to do this thing better. And that's let's for the audience here. There, there are some assumptions made here. This is forward the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance podcast. So we're talking about systemization of the forward or modern chiropractor who utilizes rehab utilizes a lot of different techniques in their approach to taking care of patients. I mean, the straight chiropractors have had systems for years. They're not systems we would all necessarily approve of, but they, one thing we've always held in high regard of the straight chiropractor is that, man, those guys got a system. Yeah. I don't really like, what is my system? But those guys have nailed it down. Now what you're talking about is there is a way for an evidence-based chiropractor or physician to be systematized in their approach to rehabilitation, soft tissue work, chiropractic care, all this other stuff. Absolutely. So Mark King is someone I've always looked up to a lot. He's the president of the Motion Palpation Institute. And he was always big into the E-Myth. And then eventually E-Myth Chiropractor came out. So I was excited to dive into that. I think it was try two the first time I read E-Myth. And the whole time I thought it was interesting, but it just didn't feel like that applied to chiropractic. Again, I was a try two student. I didn't know a lot about it. And what got me into this profession was a sports injury. But I kept looking at it and I'm like, it looks so systematic and it sounds awesome. This idea that your, your business should be able to run itself. You should be able to step away and things just pick up as if you were there or not there. And then constantly you'd hear things like, you're the key man, you have to be there. And so constantly you've got these two sides that are pulling from each side. How do you do this? And I remember when E-Myth Chiropractor came out, it was the same thing exactly you're saying. It was a lot of things that talked about this traditional chiropractic practice, which is way easier to systematize than so many dynamic moving parts with a very thorough assessment. And then how do we pivot on the fly, but still have that systematically planned out? So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, are you bringing some of this stuff to your lecture at at Ford at Ford KC Kansas City June 1st through 3rd 2018 <laughs> good plug yeah. <laughs> when we do the TED talk my portion is going to be about this journey and why I think it's so important to have these systems and then when we do the breakout session with me and Josh Satterley that's a lot of what it's going to be so initially it's going to we're going to be ready for any which way we need to go with the lecture we'll do it based on the crowd that shows up that day because I feel like there's a ton of material to cover, but there are certain key tenets to it that if you have an SFMA background or a DNS background or an MDT background, these, these different things play together so well, but sometimes it feels like they're all in their own world and they're just not. It's, right. it's the same. We're almost always saying the same thing. And that's, what's always fun. You go to a different group's conference and every time it's almost like there's little snickers about, well, this group does this. And it's like, literally we're doing the same things. They're just maybe different words, or we're talking about a different phase of that same continuum. So something like Charlie Weingroff talks about, it's that it's still the same long continuum. It's just which section are we carving out to talk about this weekend? Right. It's one of the things I've noticed just from doing this podcast. So it's a thing that, that I've gotten out of it is that almost immediately, I mean, we're like 15 guests deep or so is that there are tons of systems and we require, I didn't use any other word besides the word require, a, some sort of plug and play system 
to put all these things in and figure out which way works best for you. Even from, from guest one, which was David uh, Wiedemeyer with orthotics. It's like, you got to understand a way to plug in the orthotic system into your machine. And right. You got to take this other thing and plug it into the machine. And you, and if you don't figure that part out, none of this stuff really works. Um, so I always thought it was very important to have you drawn into this picture because you, you have a bigger view of what, what can be systematized than other people do. And, uh, Brandy Nemchenko is a, is a great systems person. And these people who are super successful, we don't even have to talk about numbers or dollar figures or patient visit amounts, but these people that are very successful at evidence-based practice are very, very astutely aware of systems. Um, yeah. So like, for instance, for you, it, it's sort of like, um, can you walk me through what a new patient would go through when they came in your office? Absolutely. The average standard new patient. And we know there's variations here and there, but just your average new patient. Right. So your average new patient will come in same as all clinics and fill out paperwork. And most of the time that's done online now, we, even though we use Cairo touch and we have pros and cons of it. Um, one of the right. pros is the online intake does a pretty decent job for us. So most of the time that's filled out. And then the first 15 minutes of that exam, they're taken back to the treatment room. And then we use spark motion, which I think most people now have had, um, have heard me talk about that, or they've heard someone else talk about it. But that's something that I've been pushing those guys for a long time to give me a coupon code where people can get a free month to use that app because it's unbelievably powerful. Is that run by Nike? Is that Nike Spark? No, it's not it's, actually. It's um, it used to have another name. Kinesio Capture was the name ah, of it. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. they got pressured and had to change that, which was really silly from my side of things. But the app is so good. But I finally talked them into it right before the MPI summit. And if you want a free month of that, you just type in MoveCon, so M O M M O V E C O N, and that will give you um, a free month to try it, and then a discount for like six months. But everyone should try this. No matter what your assessment is and how you do things, you can get on-screen goniometry really easy. So if you do the SFMA, it's the most incredible way to take that and speed that up from a system standpoint. So you can record them and then you can measure on the screen, are they within normal limits or not? So you already know, do I need to dive into that or not? So that's one way that anyone listening to this can get way more systematic quickly it's use technology to your advantage not to slow you down so we have our seat our head chiropractic assistant take them back she goes through the um top tier sfma and then we may go through depending on how that goes either we'll break out a couple of those patterns right then or they'll go to motor testing or they'll go to some mdt repetitive movement so one of those three things are based on our system, they're going to get led to right away. Um, so that all happens in that first 15 minutes. So they'll hit the SMA, get that recorded, and then jump right into whatever's next, whether it's our motor testing, whether it's MDT or it's, um, you know, a breakout from the SFMA. So Which then that, you know, that, that part, those are three different pieces that you learn at three different places at three different times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that is hard. So I will say this, two years ago, I started doing a lot more consulting for different providers because someone in the movement system would say, oh, you're Cairo, you're struggling with this, call Jason. So they would reach out to me and then depending on what they've taken or what they need, either I would come out to their clinic and help them uh, check their system, see what's going wrong and how to convert that to make more sense. Well, one of the things that would be tough is that we would find certain clinics, their hangup would be they just didn't have an important piece for what they're trying to do. So what I've backed off when we had our second daughter 18 months ago, I realized I can save a lot of time for these individuals. I just tell them, uh, let's do a conference for an hour and then, oh yeah, you need this course. Like that's going right. to speed you up a ton. And then if you're still having questions, let me come help you make that efficient. But there are a lot of pieces that individuals need. And that is why this is so much harder than a traditional, you know, pound down the high spots practice. But I think the reward for the patient and the provider and, um, you know, having that experience in your clinic or that um, unfair advantage versus your competition that is so worth it that it, it gets you excited to get up every day and get after it. So, yeah. Yeah, not to get too off topic, but if you don't have certain pieces, it's definitely a struggle and you always feel like dead gummit. Like I, I keep running into these same cases that are hanging me up and it's because, right. you know, they're missing a, a we, we, that phrase, a, a tool in the toolbox, you know, that, that comes up a lot. Um, and that is kind of a thing, you know, so, but I feel like if you're really good with the functional movement system as a whole, like that organizes your toolbox fully. Like, you now know I'm either missing this or I'm not because you have a reproducible system to take it back to and realize there you like, go. this is what I'm missing. Yeah. No, I, I think if, if your point A got you to the same point B, which was uh, pound down the high spot every time, then you're probably wasting your time. But in these situations, uh, point B, that is not always the answer. Right. So <clears throat> taking us back to our new patient, what other things do you see with point B and how would they experience that in your clinic? So, okay, we've got somebody who might need chiropractic adjustment, but obviously they need these other things. What yeah. cycle are they going through? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that helped us was a, a conversation I had with Greg Rose about three years ago. And it was about the same time that reimbursement changed a ton in the state. And it, it really became, we had a basically a come to Jesus meeting with ourselves and realized we have to be way more efficient. So every time we've gotten more efficient with our systems, it's become a necessity, not really an option. Meaning we knew our outcomes and our reputation in the community with all the medical providers that refer to us. We can't sacrifice that because the ego side of practice for some of us out there is still a big deal. Like to me, as much as we love the Wayne Dyers of the world and fighting this idea of the ego, like what gets me excited is our reputation around and getting the results that we get. So no matter what, we can't sacrifice that. Right. So when we knew that reimbursements were getting cut, we knew that we, well, the, the results going to be the same. We're still going to crush with the rehab. We're still going to do the most thorough assessment we can do, but how the heck do we get more efficient? So we constantly kept striving for that. So in doing so, I had a talk with Greg one time. And he's like, man, you've got to make sure you're not missing X, Y, and Z day one. Because if you do, that's what's going to hang you up. And you can't have that mess up, you know, five visits in or four visits in. Um, and so that got us back to the drawing board and realized that day one, what the most important thing is, 
is we have to know by day two, like what path they're going to be on. Like, are we going to be working mainly on pain-free movements with them? Are we going to be mainly doing motor control work? Is it graded exposure or is it capacity work? Like, what is it that we're doing with that patient? And we need to know at day one. So another way to put that, when I went through um, the beginning stages of uh, MDT training and Tom Lotus used to come out to Logan quite a bit and would do his course um, through MPI. And I remember that exposure being really good, but something I struggled with is sometimes I would give them repeated extensions and they'd on the table, they'd be like, golly, I feel so much better. We'd stand them up and they're like, oh, I think it's a little better. And then I'd send them home and then the next day they're worse. And it's like, ah, how did I pick the wrong movement there? And then I'd already imagine this plan going away. And this is the exact stark opposite because of that repetitive movement. <laughs> right. um, and so that got really tough. And so we knew that we have to nail that by day two. So one of our things was if we're going to do repetitive movement and that's what's going to centralize their symptoms or um, give them more pain-free movement or increase their motor strength, we can't miss that. So we need to know by day two if that's going to be either beneficial for us or, you know, do we maybe give it another run, but really we're moving on to something else. Um, and that's where that our exam really got streamlined. So we know that first 15 minutes, we really need that top tier SMA. We need to be able to do breakouts that day if we need to. We're going to do our motor exam and then a repetitive movement exam. Um, and then I'm able to come in, finish up with a thorough history of what's going on and then give them the homework that day that's going to help us nail the diagnosis for day two. Cool. No, that's so great. That's what our day one looks like. Yeah. So they're expected. I mean, every patient you have it has a day two. That sounds like a funny question, but I do have to ask it because there are Meaning, a lot of people out there that don't have day twos for their patients. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so day two is actually crucially important for us in the, in the plan. So day one is we're nailing the diagnosis. Day two is, did that go the right way or was that the wrong way, right? So exactly. if someone doesn't have good self-awareness of what they're feeling, right? So in culture now, especially with the way insurances is and having these higher deductible plans, people are waiting so long to seek care. So it seems like I haven't seen a traditional muscle strain come in my clinic in three years. You know, yeah. we just, we don't see simple strains anymore. Like they wait that out. Yeah. Natural um, history would take care of that. Sure. Yep, exactly. And they're aware like, oh, I stretch it, push through, it'll get better and better. So we just, you know, don't see those cases anymore, but someone will come in with some ridiculous symptoms because they've tried to stretch that. And now that's worse, or it's in range joint extension intolerance. And then they just, you know, keep loading through it. Um, so day one, we hit them with whatever we do, but day two, if they came in and that got worse, but in session day one, they kept thinking, man, that's really helping, but man, now I'm way worse. We know there's some level of awareness of what they're feeling isn't on point. So now we have to go into that education standpoint from what I guess gets viewed as the pain science realm of like, we need you to know what normal feels like, what, you know, is a sensitive area. And then that's where we can use our SFMA findings and say, okay, well, because of the way you're moving, you may or may not have enough movement options available to you. So you keep continually sensitizing the same structures because of these habits you have. So now we can have more of a habits talk and say, let's do 
another way to think of that, if you come from the Stu McGill side of things, it's okay, well, let's not keep resensitizing the same things. Let's look at a different movement habit. So same things you've heard from probably five different education courses that all think it's, you know, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all the same. Like it's habits <laughs> and repetitive movements that are sensitizing whatever structure you want to call it. Um, but that day too is crucial because that's when we can it review is. our findings. Like here's what we found. Here's what we're going to work through. Here's the stages we expect to see. And then let's get going. No, it's important to make a distinction of that because I would say 80% of the people out there, what they're doing is day one is the same as day or day two is the same as day one. It just has an exam attached to it, you know? Right. Like, uh, okay, so on my first visit, I need to get this exam in and then I need to get to work. And then they just work until they've reached some sort of goal or not. And uh, it's not as effective. It's not the, the best way to take care of somebody. It's not even what a physician would do. A physician would never do that. It, right. it's, it, it's just, uh, it's not the right way to go about things. So I would implore people, if, if you find yourself sort of stuck in that thing, because that is the thing that chiropractic has done for so long, is try to start your way out of it. And even some people have heard because tour, uh, the, the straight chiropractors, they, they do a day two, but it's, you know, the day two is like the sales pitch, you know? <laughs> it's like day two is crucial uh, to get to this person to build that rapport and to get them to understand why they're there and what you found on the first day and, and that you actually did take some very serious time investigating what was going on with their case. Because yeah, in the old school, if you were seeing a bunch of sprain strains, you wouldn't need the day two thing because it's pretty self-explanatory. Right. But uh, things are getting much more complicated these days and you've got to be a, a better manager of much more complicated situations, especially since that's going to be a lot of the things that walk into your office. Right. And that therapeutic alliance is key, just like you brought up, like that rapport with the patient is really key. And day one and day two is where you can solidify that confidence in them. Like he gets what's going on. He understands that these are the things, these are my core values. Here are my outcome goals. Here's how we know when we're done. Here's where we need to go. And here's when you can take self-efficacy and you you own it yourself. So all of that's important to be able to communicate that we're all on the same page. That's right. And um, how we're going to do that. But I'll tell you, there's a million times where I guess last time I really feel like I messed this up um, consistently was about six years ago, but it was, I was trying to do everything day one. And one, that's exhausting. I know what you're talking about, yeah. It's an hour and a half day. Like that appointment <laughs> is forever. And what I didn't realize, I think the biggest thing I undervalued was even patient fatigue, like not physician fatigue, but patient fatigue. Like they filled out all this information. So many times it's a big step for them to seek care anyway because they were raised in a culture that's like you don't go unless your arm's falling off. And they're like, I look fine, but I actually hurt a lot. So that's a step. Now we've moved them all these different ways. Then we've repetitively moved them. Then we've talked about stuff. And then I'm supposed to tell you, like, they're tapped out. <laughs> Day yeah. one, they're like, shit, give me something. Let me. Yeah, their eyes gloss me. over. Yeah. Yes. They're like, talk to me about it later because you're going to have to do this report of what's going on every visit because I'm not really paying attention. I'm just yeah. nodding because it sounds all right and feels like you know what you're talking about, but I'm smoked. So I think that saved us a ton of time by saying, look, we're going to save that for next time. But today 
I need you to do X, Y, or Z. And that's going to give me good information on if you're worse, better, exactly the same by next time. That'll let me know some pattern recognition of what's going on and where we need to take it. Excellent. Um, I mean, right there, we could probably stop the podcast, but everyone in their mind right now listening and say, no, don't stop yet. <laughs> that That's a uh, golden stuff there. I've always asked of all my podcast guests in general, um, which comes across as kind of a cliched question to ask, but I always ask them, where do you, what do you see in the profession right now? Where do you see it going? What, what do you think of chiropractic? Put on your thought leader hat. I think that's always interesting. So Bill Haslam appointed me to the state board for our profession. Um, I guess that was eight months ago. And just before this podcast, I had a, a good long talk with a new licensee in Tennessee. So I don't know if every state's like this, but in Tennessee, the board members interview every new licensee before they get their license. What's and, up, California? No, they don't even <laughs> they don't even acknowledge their existence. No, no, Tennessee's a special place. Gotcha. So that was a, a long talk that someone else just asked me. And I ended up pointing it back to them and asked them what they thought. And I just think it's a really exciting time for the profession because we have such a knowledge base. We're seeing what's happening at all the schools. So much change. Again, I went to Logan, so I'm biased that direction because that's where I have the most interaction. But some of the things they're doing now with having MDT on campus, SFMA on campus, um, ART, all these other options, you're getting such a more robust education that it's really exciting to see where we're going. Um, I think it is hard, obviously, because there's so many different ways you can practice in the profession. So it's hard to have one solid voice. But with things like what uh, FTCA are doing, it's, I think social media has helped with that a lot, actually. As many times as we want to complain about some of the negatives of social media, it's really allowed those outlier providers that are all doing the best they possibly can where the insurance world is making it harder and harder on our good clinicians and, you know, influencing them other ways. Like in Tennessee, we have that per diem uh, reimbursement. So whether you're with them for five seconds or five hours, it's the same reimbursement that can, yeah. that's almost, you know, Michael Massey was on your podcast and, you know, in Tennessee, he was really our huge liaison for working with, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and really into that that world. And we just know that if you just know the numbers, like if I spend five seconds, I get this like fantastic. You could see how certain providers that's going to influence in the wrong way. So it seems like the insurance world's leaning the complete wrong direction, but the good providers can still make things happen really, really well and help a lot of people. Um, I think it even actually opens up the opportunity to help providers in the rehab world um, and a self-efficacy model in a small way uh, with the way we run things. So if we talk about that later, how we do a typical rehab visit um, with the per diem fee schedule, it almost helps us. So I don't know. I guess we could go on a tangent any direction you wanted to take I it. No, I, I mean, first I, I identify with that sort of like social media has helped, especially the doctors on an island. Because when I first started my career, um, I was in my own practice with a medical doctor. So just two of us. We were cash only, so we didn't really understand much about insurance. We were in Arroyo Grande, California, which is a small town. Uh, 
a small <clears throat> beach town in the middle of nowhere. None of the other doctors in my town and my neighborhood on my street, none of them were evidence-based. You know, I'm using air quotes there. You know, they, they were, you know, free the, the life force that is within you type of chiropractors. And, uh, and I felt alone and it wasn't anything else except for trying to first discovering social media because we're old enough now that we also have lived a life without it, mm-hmm. a professional life without it. Um, well, I don't know. You haven't really, it kind of came on hot right when you got started. Yeah, I was right about then, but, but, uh, I didn't have it when I first got started and then it sort of started turning up the social media stuff. Um, and it, it started pointing me in directions towards people that can give me some answers. It also made me very aware that I was on an Island and then eventually, so long story short, moved to Portland, Oregon, where there's actually other DCs to talk to and other professionals for that matter. Um, so I totally identify with the Island thing. Uh, you can also create your own islands on, on social media, and that's not necessarily positive either. But right. um, Brett Winchester said something really, I mean, obviously you have to identify with Brett Winchester just because of the Logan connections, the MPI connections, and all that stuff. But he really, I think he's really onto something when he says a lot of young chiropractors these days are graduating, uh, they're graduating technique rich, but skill thin. You know what I mean? Love that. Like, and I don't know if he said that or if I just made that up, but it was his point. And his point was everybody's learning all these great techniques, but they have no skill and no aptitude to actually apply them appropriately for the patients that they see. Right. I think, so obviously Brett is my biggest mentor. So obviously I identify with him a lot. Um, met him, tried to have school, very interesting way that we met. He I was a computer nerd and that's how I paid for undergrad. Well, he had a computer issue at an MPI course and I never wanted to be that guy that jumps up and saves the day and fixes it real quick. But um, if you've ever seen Brett panic, he had just had those eyes going of like, I don't know how to fix this because back then he couldn't use a computer very well. Um, so I jumped up, saved that. And then all those Gonstead cervical adjustment videos, you know, <laughs> you got to show cervical. all this stuff. But he, um, Anyway, we just hit it off. So I became his IT guy there for a while and we hit it off really well. So he was able to guide me through a lot of issues I was having. But at the end of the day, even though I had an unbelievable mentor, took well over 40 courses while I was at Logan, I still came out the same way though. Like everyone I would leave, I was high-fiving, cleaning glasses with everybody there. Like, God, we know so much information. But then coming out in clinic, like I still screwed it up constantly. Like it was so much harder than I thought it was to tie that together. Um, but I think because of some of the necessities has forced me down that path to just keep figuring it out. And that's where exactly what Brett was saying is something we still see. So at Logan, what one of the clubs I'm excited about now is R2P club. And I really feel like that's where I would have spent a ton of time at school had that been a thing when we were in school, because that's the individuals that have taken all those courses and they're trying to figure out how to blend that together. So where I'm doing my course for them, they're wanting to host me out there in July. And the whole goal is literally like you talked about. It's we've got all these techniques, but how the heck do you do that in a 45 minute rehab session and stay efficient and be able to see a day where you see 30 people in a day. Like how does that happen? Is that even possible? And my challenge is absolutely it is, but your systems have to be on point. Your assessment diagnosis have to be awesome. And you have to be willing to reassess if you're missing it. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. The the I think the R2P and the ISCRS, International Society of Clinical Rehab Specialists, I think that's a right direction to go. Um, they've I think they've got their own clunkiness to get over, but it's definitely the the positive direction that we need to go. And and I think when people see how forward KC sort of rolls out, it's a teaser of that idea, but still the systematization of putting all of those things into one solid flow chart is a ways off. And, and I think that's kind of what we'll get closer to with like forward 2019, wherever forward is in 2019, we'll be closer to unveiling this sort of like, okay, there's a system you can apply to this, but right. you need to, you need to you need to check off a certain number of boxes in your own professional toolkit first. So when, when we talk about that, my next question would be, what would be off the top of your head some of the courses that young people must take? They must have in their tool belt. We've already got SFMA, we've already got MDT as must in the tool belt. What else do you think they need in the tool belt? The tool bag, tool bag. I think it comes down to what are they struggling with to fix. That's the hard part. So yeah. if it's purely exercise prescription, which happens from time to time, um, I used to say it was SFMA level two because that used to be a really good exercise prescription course. But when I was out in San Diego last year, Greg was talking about they were changing that course quite a bit to now where it was more on the diagnosis side and still some exercise prescription, but there were a lot of clinicians that were struggling with okay, great. I did the top tier. I did the breakouts, but now I'm in this local box, but I don't know what to do. I find that the MPI docs, if they've taken several motion palpation courses, when you get to that local box in the SFMA, you don't struggle at all. Like they, if that's a capsular pattern or a joint pattern or soft tissue, like you're right on it yeah. and it's ready to go. But if I think one thing that we miss a lot in school is the idea of joint mobilizations and we undervalue those, we just think manipulate and go, but there are times where the mobilizations with movement are really, really helpful. So I think if you can catch a Brian Mulligan course, that should be on your top list to get an idea of how to do that. And if you can catch him with Kevin Wilk, I think he still does that course. That's when I saw him in Cincinnati about five years ago. That was a really good course because you got Brian doing his thing, showing that all the different mobilizations with movement, and then you got to workshop that with somebody next to you. But at the same time, you got exposure to the just graded exposure route or just every exercise for every part of the body from Kevin Wilk. Um, I think if you can catch something like that where you spend one weekend, but you get a lot of information that you may not have exposure to, that's a, that's a really good course to catch. Um, and then I, I do think it's important to catch one DNS course, at least like a DNS rehab course, like the exercise portion. I think that's really good to get this concept of how do we stack ribs over the pelvis better with rehab? Because there's certain times where we need to limit a certain motion. And I think they're still the best um, assessment on that. But the way to apply it, I think we can sometimes speed that up a little. Um, but I think that's, that's really good to catch too. Excellent. So in, in our story, as our story goes along, what would your average patient be experiencing on the rehabilitation side? It comes down to really per patient, per body part, per, per region. But I think the big things are there's four major principles that I go through with any case that you would get better. And 
I call them the ARG principles. So A-R-R-G, when I do my course lecture, and I'll cover that at Ford KC as well. But it's these four big things are going to happen. ARG, like a pirate. ARG. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's cute. People remember. But the four things are, you A, that patient's got to have awareness training or at least check off the box that they are self-aware of what they're feeling and what they're doing and how their body's moving. You have to reduce the sensitization, whatever that painful area is. Then you've got to do some motor control training to regain that, that control and then some graded exposure. So Greg Lehman's course, I'll never forget when I saw that, it cracked me up because his is way better than mine of saying the same four things. He just says, calm shit down and build shit back up. And I'm like, God, that sucks. That's 8 million times better than what I came up with years ago. But um, the principles are the same. It's, they've got to do those things. So when we're talking about an average patient case, let's say it's extension low back pain. So day one, we're going to have them a repetitive movement. If, if anything just gives them instant relief or increased blood flow in that region, does something help them? If it doesn't, then we want the awareness with that individual of these movements keep sensitizing your pain. So we're going to work around that, right? So from the SFMA standpoint, that's working on their dysfunctional non-painfuls. Or another way to say that, they're, pain, uh, they're pain-free restricted areas of motion. So if there's a passive range of motion that they can't do, we're going to work on that with them. That has to be programmed into them. And the philosophy behind that is we're going to work on that region to give them more movement options so that they can pain-free move another way to not hit their pain trigger as Stu McGill would call it. So every patient's going to get that in some facet. And then at the same time, we want to program up some kind of capacity work where they can work on, say it's, whether it's quads or glutes or some region of the body that they can do something substantial, even from the psychosocial side of things to say, okay, man, I'm doing something substantial. I'm not broken. I am resilient. I can keep pushing on. So we're going to do some kind of capacity work with them. Um, And then we're going to do something that gets them back towards their painful mechanism, but maybe a different way. So another way to say that is if the SFMA says that they're missing hip extension, but they're overusing low back extension is painful. Well, we're going to work on a lot of hip extension, but we're going to lock out that low back extension. So they're feeling an extension movement without the pain and then just build them back up. So in some way, each patient's getting one of those flavors. So the way we build the systems for rehab are taking pieces from each one of those, but we bias each one based on, you know, how early on we are in the rehab plan versus are they out of pain now? And now we're just building that robustness. Well, that is um, excellent. I'm sure... I have a lot of questions. Just kidding. I, th- I don't. I don't see how anyone could do it any better. Um, here's the issue with me being the big, the big macro guy is how do we get this idea to as many people as possible so that it benefits as many patients as possible? What are we think? doing that, Bobby? Aren't we doing that right now? Is that <laughs> this podcast is yes, not yes. Just more Kairos than anywhere else in America, and if not you need to make that happen. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is this thing needs to be the thing because I can't see a better way of doing it. I mean, even if you were probably a straight chiropractor 
which that's look this just isn't going to happen but at least going through this stuff you would you would have a better picture of what you were about to do with your patients you know that's crazy talk i know but there's no there's i can't think of a better systematized way of going about it uh than what we've just talked about um now let's talk about wrapping it up with the patient do you do you prefer any certain specific outcome measures are there ways that you measure outcomes i mean obviously we're using the motion pictures in the beginning and probably revisiting those as we go what are there other tools that you use yeah so we definitely use the functional outcome assessments and You'd asked earlier about a, a course that I think people need to take. Um, I will put that plug in there for Tom Lotus and Annie O'Connor with what that group is doing right now with World of Hurt and their course. The reason I say that is because once you've taken all of these courses, it almost mandates that you start to figure out how to integrate them all together, which is what that pain management classification system is. Um, I think that could save people a lot of time is it because in a way you can buy that book and go through all of it, but it's just this idea that you can, each person, you can classify their pain in some way. So they go through using um, the yellow flag risk form and how that can help you with certain cases from the psychosocial side, et cetera. But I think that's a really good functional outcome assessment type form to be able to use. And that's in Craig Liebenson's book. And it does a really good job of giving you some insight into, um, you know, are they catastrophizing their pain? Are they not? And it's something that can save you a lot of different forms. So I've, I've been a big fan of that since talking to Tom about that at his course in Cincinnati last year. Um, I think that's something that saved us a lot of time with our outcome assessments. We used to actually do a lot, right. um, arguably too many. Like now let's give them the you know, readiness questionnaire. Let's do, you know, all of a sudden they're like, my gosh, like you have seven pages of paperwork to start with. And now I'm doing like six questionnaires. Um, so it's very patient, patient focused, patient centered yeah. of you for sure. Yeah. I've been it's, um, it's, it's tough. So now we've done a lot better about, we'll do one per region and then we'll do the yellow flag form. So we've really done that. And I credit Tom for bringing that to our attention because it saved me a lot of the questionnaires I was using because Peter O'Sullivan recommends a couple. Um, it's like everywhere you go, somebody recommends a couple FOAs. Right. And um, yeah, so we've really streamlined that. So we definitely use those and that's something important to track as well. Um, I, I think they are, they are useful. How much time do you get to spend around students these days? So we have been helping out as much as we can with our 2P club out at Logan. Um, so I try to give them as much time as we can. We end up having one or two out per month, most likely for a full day to shadow. Um, so pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Um, what do you, what do you think of these classes coming up? It seems like Logan is on this new direction. Logan's Logan went from like one of my most questioned campuses to probably one of my more favorite campuses. I think it always goes in waves as much as I want to be the most optimistic person you've ever heard. I just remember what it was like when I was there, we would have a group and, and the stories were there when I first started and then you leave and literally our, our last intern we had had the exact same story about what was happening on campus with one of the clubs. It's like, it just somehow goes in waves. You'll have this <laughs> super hungry group and then you'll have this other group that's like, I don't know what they're doing. And then two classes later, they're crushing it again. 
Yeah. So it seems like that sign curve, you know, keeps happening. But um, the ones I interact with are just incredibly astute and um, love where things are going. And a lot has to attribute to Brett and, you know, the other influences on campus there. Um, you have such good opportunity and access to great providers. So, yeah, on the podcast, we've had Brett and yourself, and I don't think I've talked to a more knowledgeable or professional, knowledgeable and professional pair than you two. So Logan needs to hold on to you guys really tight. Make sure you're very happy. Um, for, from my point of view, I don't think it matters. I mean, as long as the students understand this one piece, the only things that really matter are these things that you see in these podcast guests. Uh, a willingness to work hard, uh, a will uh, respect the grind, a willingness to ask yourself deep questions, not just take what's been spoon fed to you and take those things that have been given to you and then ask even more questions and be intellectually curious. And uh, three, you've got to be willing to separate the wheat from the chaff here and um, throw out some stuff that's not going to serve you well. And there's a lot out there. Trust me. I and think that's where a systematic your own system. Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed that. I think when I left Logan, the group of buddies that I had, we, not that we came out negative, but it was, we were pretty close minded about this is how it's got to go. This is what we've got to do. And I think the, a really good systematic assessment, if anything, it opened my mind more than anything because it either makes change or it doesn't make change. Right. Like you may love this technique, you may hate this technique, but if you, if, at the end of the day, if it dramatically changed their range of motion and it opened up more movement options for that patient and then now they can pick up their grandkids better without pain, then you crushed it. Like yeah, that, that's, that's what it's all about. But have a systematic way to assess and reassess, are we doing a damn or not? Because we know the natural history of pain and how they may or may not compensate, but the pain is gone 12 weeks from now. So we know what happens in a 12 week time span as far as pain's concerned for a lot of people. Um, so I don't think we can just use the natural history as like our cop out all the time. I think you need to be able to assess and reassess and see change in a very reasonable amount of time. And the assessment is what opens your eyes to that. And um, it holds your feet to the fire too. So it keeps you humble. Yeah, it makes me want to like, uh, I'm a tall guy, so it makes me want to punch the ceiling because it's like all those things, all those problems that the negative people bring up, like we're not respected enough and medical doctors don't want to refer to us and anything else you can name can be answered by being systematized as in, okay, so now we have a uniform presentation of the profession over a larger scope. Like uh, any... Any grandmother, aunt, or uncle, or medical doctor can say, I can trust and refer in a to a chiropractor because I know what I'm going to get as far as a product, which they don't have right now. They have no idea what they're going to get if they send that trusted person out to the chiropractor. Which, what type are you going to get? Systemization can fix that. Two, Absolutely. results can be, can be uh, maybe not fixed or perfected, but at least honed down to a reproducible result with systematization and all these other things. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's such a big answer. We should have a task force that just nails this down so that evidence-based chiropractors aren't all running around saying, I practice XY technique because XY technique is gonna miss a piece somewhere. And we can't have that happen with patients. It's just too important. 
I will say I've never had an MD shadow an exam and say anything other than that was an incredibly thorough exam or be sad about it and then not refer patients because <laughs> right. like it's every single time it's been very successful for us. And um, every medical doc in our region highly appreciates it. Um, because I remember the first time I went to a doctor lunch and the ortho, I said, let's just do a workup. Let's just do it right now. I want to show you exactly what we do. And we took a nurse, took her through everything. And he was just like, you do this on every exam. <laughs> I said, yep, we yep. do this every exam. He goes, okay, leave your cards at the front. And that was like the end of the lunch. And I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this relationship plays out. And it's been fantastic. Would you say um, that's more effective than just buying muffins and, <laughs> and sending some cards to the front desk staff? Yeah, I think it, I think it helps a little more. <laughs> Come on, bro. Muffins. Muffins. <laughs> Costco muffins, you know, yeah, with your chart notes. Um, there are so many great ways to do this. The, the joy is that this is really fun to do. Um, and another joy is that you can create your own adventure in this chiropractic adventure. So you can find tons of ways to create joy. But if uh, systems and clarifying all these things that you've been uh, dedicating your life to learning and making them make sense for you and your patients is your thing. Obviously, you want to know as much as you can about Dr. Jason Holm. You want to get involved in, uh, in the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance because we're going to bring a lot more things of this nature to the table for you. Um, but most importantly, where can these folks find you? Where can they see you next? Where are you going to present? How can they contact you? All that stuff. Your, your commercial. Next course is in July at Logan. It's a fundraiser for the R2P club. So the more we get there, obviously, the more that helps um, R2P. I'm very excited about that. My website, we have our personal website for our business, which is activesjc.com. And you have a little video tour of our clinic and our 5,400 square feet there if you want to see that. Um, but our the main website that gets instant reply right to my phone, et cetera, is movementconsults.com. Excellent. Um, you've impressed me beyond impressionation. I'm at the point where I'm just making up words. <laughs> but um, long story short, uh, for all those who love their animals out there, my dog ran away last night and we found him, so I got to go get him. Well, you take care of business, baby. Yeah, we're going to stop this and I'm going to go handle some happy business. Thank you <laughs> right, so, so much, man. I'm going to see you in uh, five weeks. It's coming uh, fast. Six weeks. It's going to be here sooner than we know it. And I got a big hug in store for you. I'm looking forward to it, brother. Thanks so right. much for having me on. Yep. Take care. Excellent podcast, by the way.